and elbow drops this week we're talking about Woo! the nature boy rick flair and the american dream dusty Rhodes and their legendary rivalry that stretched from the very late 70s until um 1987 more or less so uh, again by the way it's uh sean here the uh, local craft beer expert with alec our wrestling aficionado yeah so this week on uh the podcast for the first off we're having a couple beers to uh kind of connecting with the uh the two the uh the nature boy and uh the american dream dusty Rhodes. so uh we're having a can of eternally optimistic from covered bridge brewing uh mashing like the eternally optimistic view of the american dream anything can happen as long as you're a hard-working american and i'm having a can of ransack the universe from collective arts brewing which is uh represents the ransacking of the poor by the upper classes, the elite, represented by Ric Flair. So uh, today on the podcast, we're going to get into a little bit of a history lesson on uh, one of the, be- the most famous rivalries of uh, wrestling. And it's, it's appearing outside of the uh, WWE um, or WWF at that time. And we are uh, going to be talking a bit of that whole class struggle uh, between the two. And there's a lot of fun stuff that's going to happen this week. Uh, so we're looking forward to getting on talking about it. So, um, yeah, so we'll do some talking first and then we'll get into uh, the beer a little bit and then the uh, more about... Uh, rivalry so starting off let's just set the scene a little bit a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with wrestling through the wwe or wwf and it's just to set up that the we're talking about the nwa which was a more of a governing body of a bunch of smaller promotions and the nwa world heavyweight championship was the head belt for all of these smaller regional promotions that would have had their own little belt and so this style of wrestling the nwa promoted was very very different from the wwe which which is a more cartooning, cartoony style. They don't have to make it like a, like an 80s Saturday morning cartoon. Whereas the NWA was a lot more athlete-based. It's a little more darker, more serious. And everyone bled in every match all the time. And so the story where they're, they're trying to tell was a lot more serious. Where things like, uh, or not as serious, but maybe more realistic. Where like stories are, in the WWE it was always Hulk Hogan versus, I don't know, Hulk Hogan versus the Giant. Hulk Hogan versus, you know, the Macho Man. Or the Ultimate Warrior. Or these crazy, huge, flamboyant characters. And Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes are flamboyant as well, but in a much more human and less cartoonish way. Yeah. Um, so, and it's interesting. So, getting off with the uh, 
setting up the scene, right? So Dusty Rhodes is the American dream. He's been the big guy on the scene in, in the uh, territories uh, era of wrestling at this point. Um, he's charismatic. He's enticing. People want to know more about him. They connect with him. It's one of those people who seems to get their start with wanting to connect more with Dusty Rhodes and be really close with the guy um, as a motivation to become a, an elite wrestler is Ric Flair. It's uh, really interesting to see, actually, the similarities between Dusty and Rick, especially when Rick was entering. I think Alex knows a little bit more about Rick's beginnings and uh, whatnot, so he can go on a bit of that. Yeah, well, Ric Flair, I mean, he got his start like like many wrestlers from that era did in that he was he was an excellent athlete. He was a football player and who got into, he met Vern Gagne, who was a wrestling promoter at the time and trained him to be a wrestler. And when he was just starting training, like Dusty Rhodes was becoming the biggest thing in wrestling. And Rick, in, we've seen him say that he idolized Dusty Rhodes and he even wanted to name his, take his wrestling name from Rhodes. He wanted to be called um, Ricky Rhodes or something along those lines. And Dusty, in fact, gave him the name Ric Flair, which which is like pretty crazy in and of itself, considering that Rick, you know, Rick Flair's gone on to be, become known as perhaps the greatest wrestler of all time. The kind of a funny thing about that, just to put in, is that you have this like big rivalry start, and it's almost like that whole uh, getting into kind of that class warfare and it's like the class struggles is like you have Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, the man who made himself from nothing, mm-hmm. the plumber's son, right? Little plumber's like, son. And he's not exactly like you know he's, he he has a big tummy and he's a big butt, but <laughs> he uh, he still can move around the ring and wrestle, and he's not exactly the most built-looking guy, but he's popular as enthusiasm is amazing and then you have um so you have this man who built himself up and then you have rick flair who's like you know the man the guy who was born with the golden spoon or the yeah he's like and he's like i want to be like dusty Rhodes, and uh he's, he's in the sense you catch that like rick flair never really had that struggle and so he's like i just want to be like this guy and has no appreciation for what it is <laughs> to be that guy well, yeah. And so he, that's it's, you always, different. yeah. And it's the most important thing in their rivalry is that it, it's kind of become the frame for what the, what a wrestling rivalry can be because Dusty Rhodes is, he's the common man. He, he's the plumber's son. He's everyone in the audience and he's always, in his promos, he always says things like, you know, I'm doing this for you or like, you know, like I'm any relates to the audience. He, he talks about like working a job and he talks about, you know, like when he gets hurt and he's injured, he talks about, you know, like he can't make money to feed his family and like things like that. Whereas Ric Flair in his promos, his interviews is always saying things like, you know, I wear Rolexes, I wear fancy clothes, I drive in cars. I was like, all the women love me, which, you know, um, is obviously good for turning off uh, the women, the uh, women in the audience, which was a big segment. I'm sure of all the, those like older ladies though at the front row all did actually love Ric Flair. Well, they, yes and no. Like, there are some people that love Ric Flair, but actually there was this huge thing where it was like that was just a great way to get heat from women in the audience who loved the like ultimate white meat good boy, you know, like mm-hmm. the young Christian boy kind of thing, which Dusty wasn't, but there were a lot of wrestlers kind of like that, and that was a He's draw. A for, yeah, Dusty was he was bad. Dada, I'm bad, and I you know I'm bad. Dusty Rhodes, yeah. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. So let's just do a quick setting up of the timeline of what happens here. And we start off in like about... um, 1981. 1981. uh, The late 70s is basically when the... In the late 70s, Dusty wins his first NWA championship from uh, former seven-time champion Harley Race, who's also a legendary wrestler. He's the champ for a while, and it's beautiful, and everyone loves him. And then in 1981, Ric Flair beats Dusty for the title. And... You'd think this would be the start of the rivalry, but actually it isn't because they hadn't necessarily built it up yet. And Ric Flair wasn't—he wasn't that big of a deal yet. He was—he was this up-and-coming wrestler, and he won. He was the champ and all this stuff, but like he wasn't the legendary wrestler he would later become. And the kind of interesting thing is Ric, uh, when he um, does win the belt. 
he says that he feels bad for beating Dusty. Uh, I think this is like an off the like air yes. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like as an individual, because he looks up to Dusty so much when he was growing mm-hmm. up and uh, training, and he feels bad. That he's taking a guy who kind of deserves to hold this title. Um, feels bad taking that belt away from him. Yeah, it's important to distinguish between kayfabe and non-kayfabe here. And kayfabe, for those of our listeners who don't know, is um, in-universe stuff. Like, in the story of the actual wrestling, what the characters act is kayfabe, and the out-of-kayfabe is the actual people and how they feel. And in kayfabe, of course, Ric Flair is a conniving, underhanded, greedy bastard who will do anything to get the title and do anything to to not lose it. But in real life, Ric Flair, Dusty is the, his hero that he looks up to, and he's been given this this opportunity to win the belt from him, which is a huge personal accomplishment. Yeah. In wrestling, you know, despite it being scripted, it's obviously a huge accomplishment to be worthy of holding a title belt. But, you know, yeah. you feel bad because you're taking something away from, from this man who you hold in such high esteem. Yeah, so, and before we get into talking about, like, how the rest of the... Because this is, like, really stepping into uh, how the feud is kind of begins the rivalry is really getting the pace after that first match. Um, but before we do that, I think it's about a good time to talk about some of the beers that we're having today. Um, so first, firstly, I'll go over Covered Bridges, uh, Eternally Optimistic. Um, so this is a, a little bit of a stronger pale ale. It has more of a malt body to the beer, uh, a little bit darker than most other pale ales. Um, but it has a nice hop aroma, uh, when you put your nose to the beer, um, followed with a nice bite of uh, bitterness at the beginning, more floral hops show up, and then afterwards you get a nice malt characteristic. It's a really nice beer. Um, it sits at 6.2%, um, and uh, it's a beer that you can definitely have a few of, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a great beer to have. I'm enjoying it right now. So then we have. I'm going to break down the Collective Arts Ransack the Universe. Um, I don't, I'm not quite as good as the terminology as Sean is, but this is definitely one of my favorite beers. I've been drinking a lot of it lately. Ransack, it's a, it's an IPA. It's a, this is 6.8% alcohol. So it's, you know, you feel it pretty quick. It's very, it's very fruity. Like uh, many IPAs these days have become, and it's, it's good. It has a strong yeah. hoppy aftertaste. I love it. If you're a fan of IPAs, hundred percent, check it out. Yeah. It's, it's, I think one of the better ones available in I Southern just, Ontario right now. I just, I just voted actually for the, uh, on this uh, the Golden Tab Awards, mm-hmm. I just actually my favorite beer. I think I put it as Ransack the Universe. I oh, think. Yeah. Uh, but it's amazing. Uh, they're using Galaxy and Mosaic hops. You get this nice, like when it's fresh, it tastes like pineapple. It's really good beer. Both of these beers are if you're kind of into more of uh, the hoppier beers, are great like mainstays if you're gonna do that. Um, Charlie Hoffman Mystic's a great, I would say, for the fall spring. Because it's darker, a little bit heavier. The Ransack Universe, great for the summer. It's an excellent yeah. summer IPA. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The fruity notes are beautiful. Strong, heavier yeah. too. Mm. Great. So, anyways, now into the rivalry. All right. So, um, just going to quickly mention that in between Dust, when Rick beating Dusty Rhodes the first time, and when their actual feud begins, Rick lost the title briefly to Harley Race, the guy Dusty beat, who was a legend, and then Rick beat Harley Race to get the title back at Starcade One in 1983. And I'm sure you've heard of WrestleMania, but if you haven't heard of Starcade, Starcade was WrestleMania before WrestleMania because Starcade actually, despite what the WWE will tell you, Starcade was the first major wrestling event of that kind, the gigantic blowout thing without the mark key matches all the way down the card. And um, the first ever Starcade, Ric Flair's name was kind of made in a way by beating Harley Race, this old-time legendary seven-time champion, the guy that invented the U.S. title. Uh, yeah, it's just 
And uh, this is also a point where, so with Dusty, he's kind of like, you know, the man of people, but he's also been in wrestling for a long time. And a lot of the time, wrestlers who have just a high profile in their uh, their wrestling groups, uh, I forget the name where you put them. In their promotion. In their promotion. In their promotion. Um, basically, when they have a, such a high name in it, they begin having a little bit of an ability to kind of book matches and get everything going. So at this point, Dusty, in terms of NWA, is kind of starting to run the show in a bit, in a way. He's the kind of guy behind the scenes, running the events, he's pushing Starcade, and he's also, in a sense, Flair, behind the scenes, is kind of Rhodes' understudy. He's the protege. He's um, being pushed by uh, Rhodes for the events because he sees that Ric Flair is like going to be like the guy who pushes the NWA ahead of all the other promotions. And in that's, a sense, yeah. yeah, that's really important important to point out is that yeah that dusty is booking rick flair as the champion he's writing him to continue being the champion and the reason he's doing that is number one rick flair is probably at that time one of if not the absolute best wrestler in the world at a technical level on a storytelling level everything but more importantly to the old school wrestling mentality is that rick flair is making them boatloads of money like rick flair is selling at arenas across the country he is possibly the like well he's one of the biggest draws in wrestling especially in the carolinas and the southeast united states which is where they primarily, where uh, Jim Cocker promotion, the NWA was operating heavily, but Ric Flair drew in the rest of the country when he traveled there as well. Yeah, and so you have this setting up, which expresses the amazing creativity that uh, Dusty Rhodes, or Dusty Rhodes has as an individual, yeah. and is able to. You see, this is actually Dusty Rhodes is writing the story that we're about to present in front of you before anyone else really gets the feel of how this is going to be set up, which mm-hmm. is. And a little bit amazing, I should think, that he uh, was able to do that. Yeah, exactly. And so, all right, so we're going to set the scene now is um, Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. Rick won the title off Dusty, but that was just that was just a match. It wasn't really a feud yet. But now at Starcade One, Dusty Rhodes said he was going to challenge the winner of Rick Flair versus Harley Race. And Rick wins. So Dusty says, you know, he wants a title shot, he's gonna challenge Rick. Basically without any it doesn't seem like there's any no, Dusty gets a no. title shot because yeah. he's Dusty Rhodes. He yeah. is the man of the people. He's he just shows it's up like, and says I'm getting I'm If getting, this I'm were a him. legit sporting event, there'd be like, hold on, yeah. hold on I mean he kind of has a thing because he's a former champion. He'd be Harley Race but lost to Flair so he kind of has a shot a reason yeah. to have the shot but like because it's wrestling and because everyone loves Dusty Rhodes yeah. no one cares that yeah. like there should be some sort of like formal thing for him to get a title shot it's Dusty Rhodes everyone loves him so he says I'm gonna challenge the winner and everyone says damn right you are we love yeah. you so then so yeah so after Flair beats Race Dusty and Flair have their match that's an 83 yes, and Starcade no Starcade Starcade 84 or yeah. So Starcade 2 yeah. is Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. And this is an interesting match. And it's guest refereed by legendary boxer George Foreman. No, it's not George Foreman then. Oh. It's Fraser. Joe Fraser. Yeah. Shit. Wow, that was pretty bad. Just anyways, so Fraser uh, is the special guest referee. We were mentioning about how people at that point were just like, we can get lots of money. So they're kind of ruthless in the fact that like, okay, what's going to be the biggest draw? How do we get people to these events? And Frazier's a good way to bring in people to come watch the match. I mean, they're getting Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, and Frazier, who's going to be the, the official for the match, which is pretty cool. So this match is going on pretty early on in the match, though. Dusty kind of gets a little cut up. Yeah, and it's interesting the way they tell this story, too. And they have it sprinkled throughout which is so so Fraser's the referee and Fraser frequently is like 
doing the kind of things that like you don't see in in referees that much in wrestling where it's like for example um rick gets knocked out of the ring early on dusty throws him out of the ring and frazier makes dusty back off he may, pushes him back to the corner so rick can get back in the ring which is not that's not how wrestling works usually like the guy can totally go up and grab the guy who's out of the ring but they're setting up this thing where um oh these boxing guys you know like they you know they have all this stuff they're not they're not real men like yeah. wrestlers they're having this thing where like yeah the they're guy, trying to make boxers look like weak or afraid to i think to they make fight. a reference to the fact that they're during the match the commentator i forget his name but he makes reference to the fact that oh wrestlers are probably the uh, only rugged sports the last in, of the uh, rugged individuals in yeah sports just oh boy yeah but um it's also setting up up to this match. There was some background about uh, just getting onto that class warfare kind of that whole thing where Ric Flair is tooting, tooting around with his. I think is it before this or after this that he has his jet plane? Uh, it's somewhere in this vicinity yeah. when Rick's character really starts to solidify as like yeah, because limousine riding, jet flying, wheel and deal, and son of a gun. <laughs> it's basically what he's doing. And so, anyway, so that's a little setup to the match. The fans are super behind Rhodes and kind of have a hate on for Rick, even though there's some people who love Ric Flair at this point. Yeah, I mean, like that's the thing is that like the best guy, especially someone who's so talented and charismatic as Ric Flair, is always going to have fans, and that's you can that's say telling he some of his fans. <laughs> Woo! But that's telling, too, because, like, in real life, the narratives aren't as clean-cut as wrestling. I, I, ideally, in wrestling, there's one guy that everyone cheers and one guy that everyone boos. But it's showing that even in the heyday of wrestling, when it really was heel and face, and people really hated the heels and really loved the faces in a way that doesn't really exist anymore, even then, it was still a little bit mixed. You know, there were always people that liked to cheer for the heels, because to be a good heel, you have to be really, really, really good. And yeah. there are always going to be people that will admire that so, in some capacity. Yeah. So anyways, back to the match, where yes. Dusty's busted wide open in this class There's, one spot. They always play, it seems like Dusty always plays above the right eye. Yeah. I think it's the right eye. But anyways, is that area on his head always is super bloody goes over his eye. Yeah, he ends up with one eye that's just like completely covered in blood. And at one point, the refer or the the commentator says, you know, he could lose that eye if he's not careful, <laughs> which is something you don't hear so it's much true, anymore. Right? Yeah, you could totally lose that eye, right? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. those cuts above the forehead, above the eye. I'm yeah. Surprised Ric Flair actually has not poked someone so hard in the eye yeah, that has launched the eyeball. Uh, yeah, and, no kidding. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, um, so yeah, so this is happening. The match is kind of like, this is like the main event, Starcade 84, and um, they have Frazier go up and check uh, Dusty a couple times, and first two times, he's like, okay, whatever, and Dusty goes in and attacks Rick again, and by the third time, I think it is, that he checks him, he's like, just calls him out. Yeah, so it's free, yeah. very anticlimactic. Usually, like, in today's WWE, like, today's wrestling, the match would be called off, but then, like, Ric Flair would come in and beat the shit out of him. That's the thing, but is that, like... kind of just stopped it. Yeah, so the way that he kind of gets stolen, they kind of they end they end the match like at a very like kind of what potentially could be a turning point because there's a the thing in this era of wrestling, people were bleeding all the time. Like blood was very common in the early '80s, in especially in the NWA. And the idea of this this story they're telling is that often when the the hero, the babyface, gets bloodied like that, it's it's in right before some sort of big comeback. And the idea is that like people are ready for Dusty Rhodes to come back because Flair's been dominating. And Foreman or fuck Frazier stops the match. Frazier yeah, grill you for that one. <laughs> Mr. Grill Foreman Grill, yeah. Anyways, uh, Frazier stops the match uh, right at what. It's not even necessarily conscious, but subconsciously, wrestling fans know that this is when the turnaround happens. This is when the babyface comes back from through adversity, and you have this boxer in here being like stopping the match. Which and and the whole idea. Well, number one, 
in a little bit is like, oh, wrestling. Wrestlers are so much tougher than boxers. But also, it's, yeah. There's a class, the class thing where they're saying, like, Dusty Rhodes, the man of the people, goes up to um, make his mark and beat the man, the golden boy, the, the guy who's been, his life has been easy and uh, no fight, no struggle, and uh, right when the fight's supposed to happen, mm-hmm. the uh, match gets called off, and there's just no opportunity for the man of the people. Yeah, and that's that's really the storyline, is that, that Dusty, Dusty was unfairly robbed of, of, you know, he like he wanted to keep going, he needed to keep going, but he was he was robbed, and mm-hmm. it's what's interesting is that they do not ever explicitly do any kind of thing like, oh, like, you know, Frazier, this, this, this champion, this like high up guy is clearly in cahoots with Ric Flair. They never imply that, that Frazier is biased. Well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But what they, they just say that like, they make it kind of outside forces are holding Dusty back. It's not even necessarily cheating or criminal activity by, by Ric Flair. It's just, he's being held down by, in a way, society because it's Frazier kind of represents, um, real sports and in real sports you know when someone's bleeding that badly when things are that messed up you you stop the event like you go to safety you do all these things and like so dusty represents the common people being held down in that way like, i don't want to go too deep into it because it's at the end of the day weird, eh? it's the, the backfire of it is like frazier's like, like a black man in society at that point being, and he's holding down the <laughs> and it is, there is definitely especially since this was like this is people from the carolinas white dudes from the carolinas so there's you could talk about the racist element all you want there but, but anyways, it does yeah. nothing like that ever gets so, overt it's more subliminal so anyways the match ends and we're still the funny dusty's thing mad though it's, it's important we mention that is that dusty's fighting mad and like yeah. he wants to keep fighting and he tries <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, wrestler, who's writing this, by the way, yeah, he wrote yeah, this this thing, part, yeah. chases Joe Frazier out of the ring because he's so mad, and Frazier has to run away to safety. <laughs> and, and Dusty's being held back by, like, ten people. It's it's so, pretty ridiculous. So now, when we jump on to the next, like, big match, right in between there, so the next big, we're just going to kind of focus on Starcade 85 when it comes. But in between this time, this is what really sets up this match, is um, Rick Flair's against two guys which... I can't even remember the names of it. Ric Flair's getting beaten up. He's getting beat up. He's getting beat up. Dusty comes in and saves Ric Flair. Dusty Rhodes, American hero, rescues his nemesis, Ric Flair, because he is the true heart of that great nation. We should mention we're Canadian, just to make that very clear. (laughs) Yeah, so Dusty Rhodes rescues Ric Flair, and then he is, to the immense shock of everyone there, betrayed horribly. It's a trap. <laughs> These dudes, the Andersons, who are um, Arn Anderson and Ole Anderson, who are real life, uh, I guess, brothers or related in some way. And it's claimed at the time that Ric Flair is their cousin, although they think they stopped claiming that shortly thereafter. But they, the three of them, gang up on Dusty and they like they hold him down, they beat him up, and then the Andersons hold down Dusty while Rick climbs to the top rope. And does a diving knee drop. And breaks Dusty's leg. He breaks his leg. Snaps it. It snapped you in two. You can hear the crack in the, <laughs> in the middle of the ring. The crowd goes insane. Like, literally goes insane. So <laughs> what happens is, they go to leave... Because this isn't, Sorry, this was in a cage. Because Flair had a cage match earlier. So Dusty ran into the cage to rescue him. 
So they go to the bad guys go to leave the cage, and the crowd is rioting. The ones who the ones who broke, yeah, the Andersons who and yeah. Rick who broke Dusty's leg. The crowd holds the cage door shut. Well, they they actually want to get into the cage. Yeah, and and but the way it works is they're trying yeah. to get in, but they're actually pushing the door closed. But it's yeah. a riot, you know. People aren't communicating well. Yeah, they want to attack. They want to literally. They want to the rip these of... people limb from limb. This is amazing, like how intense the fans are. At this yeah, point. it's a different and how era. Good Rusty, I'm sorry, Dusty is mm-hmm. at writing, at creating a story. They, cr- they made literally created a lynch mob for they got the player and the four horsemen. It took them an hour to get out of that ring, which is pretty nuts. This is the formation of the four horsemen, which is this legendary stable in wrestling. There, it was a rotating member, mostly, um, usually Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, and Arn Anderson, plus sometimes Ole Anderson, a rotating crew of people, Lex Luger for a little bit. But the four horsemen have continued this day to be this legendary stable because people are always trying to imitate the success they had, and no one has ever really done it. And it's important to remember that they formed during this feud to hold down Dusty Rhodes. And also they were, it was it was written by, it was booked by Dusty Rhodes himself. So, so there you go. That's something that came out of this, the formation of this legendary thing that people are still talking about to this day. Yeah, so then uh, we jump into Starcade 85. Starcade 85. Dusty Rhodes versus Flair. And it's still bringing people to watch this. This is massive. Like, this is because there's this, like, whole amazing class story being told where Dusty's still being hold down, held down by the, the uh, upper class, the, uh, the golden boy, Ric Flair. So at this point, though, uh, not to go too far into the match, though, it's, like, it's a nice match, really good, lots of action going on, and um, but there's this controversy that happens. So basically, during the match... Dusty Rhodes, I don't know, I think it was, yeah, Dusty Rhodes originally falls into the raft. Well, so what happens is someone, I forget whether it's Dusty or Rick, but someone is attempting to pin, and the other person kicks out of the pin and throws the person pinning yeah. him onto the raft and yeah, knocks the raft yeah, out. Yeah, Dusty falls onto the raft. That's what happens. Yeah. And then the raft is a little bit like... He's woozy, he's out of it. And then, at this point, though, Dusty kind of takes the advantage, and then the Anderson brothers come into the ring. Yeah, they, they aren't... Arn and Ole Anderson jump, the four horsemen jump the ring. They attack Dusty. Dusty hits Arn with an elbow to the head, kicks Arn out of the ring. But in kicking Arn out of the ring, he knocks the ref ref, out of the ring. The ref ref was trying to get back into the ring, but he was hit and, like, falls out. And uh, so at this point, in this comical sense, it's actually kind of hilarious. I think it just sounds like like, um, a snowballing event. Yeah. Um, The ref is, like, trying to come back to the ring, and... uh, he At gets, this point, there's an assistant referee. Well, boy, is, is, yeah. Before the assistant ring ref hits the ring, another member of the four <laughs> horsemen jumps Dusty and like knocks him down. Then he bails the ring. Yeah. The substitute ref hits <laughs> yeah. the ring, and then Dusty goes and gets the pin, and it's one, two, three. Dusty Rhodes wins. The crowd's going insane, having their moment, and then later in yeah, the promotion, they have a backstage the interview, and the ref is like. I went to disqualify... Like, the original rep, yeah, I should clarify, rep. yeah. It was like, I, I was going to end the match when uh, when um, the original Anderson brother came into the ring and attacked Dusty. And uh, I think that's what I was... He's like, he's yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. that's like, that was on my mind. And they're like, yeah, well, we're going so yeah. to take the reverse of the decision because you meant to call off the match. So, yeah, the way wrestling works is that if someone loses, the title can't change hands on a disqualification. Yeah, so... so when the ref said that he was going to end the match mm. because he saw Arn Anderson in the ring where he shouldn't be, mm. that end of the match, Ric Flair loses, Dusty wins. 
by disqualification. So that means Dusty was stripped of the title. And we got a comment here on just how Dusty is booking this feud, where it's been, let's see here, like it's been like, that was a full year. So Stargate 84, yeah. their first match, Flair won because Dusty was prevented, yeah. like unjustly prevented from continuing. Now we're a year later, Star this feud is still going on. Stargate 85, Dusty won, but then the decision is reversed and the belt is stripped from him. So like they are really taking this crowd who is there are people hugely invested in this feud for a real ride. Like they really, really want Dusty to win and everything's being pulled away from them. And it's just a very it's a very interesting style of booking that we should Yeah, mention. Well, well yeah, it's just basically something that Dusty is very good at and mm -hmm. um, it's carrying. There's a lot of people who mentioned uh, that uh, this is something this feud and the way that the writing is occurring is kind of carrying the NWA at this point and uh, making it what it is. And so what this all leads up to is uh, the Great American Bash. This is like the a massive, massive wrestling event. There's music. There's helicopters flying in. Oh my god! Things. Yeah, it's like. The most American, American, American thing you can think of. It's no, a football was, stadium, yeah. and there's country music, and and the wrestlers get flown to the ring by a helicopter. Like, I mean, honestly, now you think about it, it's not even as American as like your average NFL game these days. Yeah. But like at the time, this was make pretty sure patriotic. You, make sure that you pay all the teams to salute. Yeah. The, the troops stand, stand for the national anthem. Yeah, that's uh, anyways. It's a little bit of a modern political problem going on right now. Um, we support Colin Kaepernick. Uh, yeah. Continuing. <laughs> As two Canadian people. Uh, um, yeah, really. So, yeah, the, the Great American Great Bash. Great American happened. Bash. Dusty Rhodes. So this whole time, Dusty has been, they've been, he's been ambushed by the four horsemen every turn. So, like, he tries, he wants to fight Flair, but Flair's never alone. The Andersons are there. Tully Blanchard's there. They're ganging up on him. They're beating him up. And so Dusty says, you know what, Ric Flair? You think you're better than me. We're going to fight somewhere where the four horsemen can't get in. We're going to have a cage match. Now, we haven't talked about cage matches yet on this show, and they are my favorite wrestling stipulation in the entire world. And it's very simple, for those of you who don't know. The wrestling ring is surrounded by a steel chain-link fence, and I don't know if this match, they only get into it a little bit. In modern cage matches, the main difference between a cage match and a normal match is that, besides there being a cage in the ring, it's, well, it's obviously no DQ, because you can use the cage as a weapon, so there's no disqualification. And also, you can climb the wall of the cage... And if you escape the cage, you climb over and you get down, that also counts as a win. Yeah, they're not really focused on that part. They of don't They match. don't go into it. They go into it a little bit in this match, but only very briefly, whereas point, a lot of modern cage matches, that's the focus. Well, it's because at this point, the cage wasn't very tall. Like this, the, ta the cage exactly, at this yeah. point was probably like 8 to 10 feet tall. Yeah. Today's modern cage is like at least 20 feet, and so or 15 at the least. And... Um, so that makes the stipulation of having to climb over the cage that much more impressive. Yeah, yeah. and this at this point, it's just probably part of like the fact that it's more difficult to get a cage set up like that, and they want a little bit more focus on the wrestlers. Yeah. Um. And so this match happens, and right away it's pretty early. Jesse's getting all bloody. Yeah. Like Flair gets all bloody. There's two beach, two bleach blonde. Bloody oh, that, yeah, that white cage. bleach blonde hair and it gets filled with blood has that. It's so wrestling. Like that's a wrestling look right it there. Looks, it looks kind of. Disgusting. And they do the classic spot where you take the your bloodied opponent and you rub his face on the cheese grater mm -hmm. side of the cage, and it's it's gruesome, but it's it's people love it. People do it. People love blood. that's yeah. That's the whole fighters. point. Of, hmm? 
Are we all vampires? Well, we all blood. Maybe most wrestling fans are part vampire. We're animals. Yeah, so yep. this match is going on. There's blood everywhere. Great match in terms of like wrestling technique and style. Yeah, I think it's this amazing is... to see actually how well Dusty moves in the ring as like a bigger guy. Yeah, Dusty works within. I mean, as someone that size, he there are some things that other people can do that he can't, but he works perfectly within like whatever his limits yeah. are. He just it doesn't matter. He just tells he wrestles so well. He tells them an amazing story in the ring. He's one of the greatest of all time, and it's his reputation got somewhat sullied by his run through the late later 80s and, and 90s and etc where he just physically couldn't wrestle as yeah. well anymore and but he kept going but this stuff in the mid 80s um especially with rick flair is he is a master so mm-hmm. he at this point they're wrestling through and which today and i was thinking about this today's agent day and age like a roll-up mm-hmm. would be seen as like a cop it win like a cowardly win yeah. but dusty ends up doing the roll-up yeah nowhere Pins Ric Flair. One, two, the crowd three. goes crazy. They They're lose their insane. minds. Dusty is the champion. All of Dusty's friends come into the cage and like hug him and hold him and like lift him up. And it's it is honestly this thing because like he'd been chasing this title for almost two full years and he finally got it. And it's it's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen so much anymore where you do this mm-hmm. one continue. And, in fairness, I'm not like criticizing. You can't do that story anymore it's because it's, it's on screen too much. Like you can't. Like people are always watching every episode. When they you're like, when at that point, people are watching the pay per view. When you have a minimum of three hours of wrestling every single week, it's really, really hard to tell this one story that happens slowly over two years. And not just really hard; it's actually impossible because yeah. you can only tell it when people are only paying attention, like once or twice a month, kind of thing. But as is, this is. This is an excellent story, and there's one more match we're going to talk about here. Just confusing. It's confusing, but honestly awesome, and it's yeah. um, Dave Meltzer, five-star rated match. I guess the so it is, yeah. 1987 Great American Bash, the, the big... main event, the first ever War Games match. Yeah. Now, I'm going to really struggle to explain what War Games is, because I don't know if I could even tell you. But basically, War Games is a giant cage. And inside the cage are two like wrestling rings. Cell. It's like Hell in a Cell, because like, there's a roof to the cage. cage. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's like a, so it's the cage match, but there's a roof, and there are two wrestling rings inside. And there are two teams of, well, five people in this match. And the two teams in this match we're talking about are Dusty Rhodes team, which um, consists of Dusty Rhodes. The superpowers. The superpowers. So Dusty Rhodes, who represents America, and Nikita Koloff, the formerly evil... Russian, who is now a good Russian, so the superpowers are Russia and America, of course, and then the Road Warriors, who, if you don't know who they are, just look them up. They're like they're um, Mad Max football players. Yeah, it's basically what they are. They're yeah, Hawk with face paint. Road Warrior, Hawk, Road Warrior, Animal, and their manager, for some reason, is in this match also. Yeah, he's just... Um, the bad guys are, of course, the Four Horsemen, who consist of Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, War Machine, who is... There's more than four people. There's five people. There's five there. people, excuse me, yeah. I think War Machine was not part of the Four Horsemen. No, he wasn't. So the the Four Horsemen at this point were... Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Lex Luger. And then... And War Machine was a, another bad guy who joined them because he was also bad. Yeah, so this... It, the War way Machine, we, by the way, he's at War Games. Do you think he was a guy who just literally made up just for... No, 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 no. He's a wrestler with his own history and backstory. He's just like... A big dude who wears like a black bodysuit kind of thing and a black mask. It's probably really the spanking. He looks like he's into a great many things, I'll <laughs> say that much. 
So the way the war games works is first one person on each team goes in and they fight for a while. I think it was like eight minutes or something along those lines. Yeah. A certain number of minutes. A long time, and then there's a coin toss. Whatever team wins the coin toss gets to have an advantage. So they send another person on their team and it's two on one for like a minute or so. Of course, Ric Flair's team won the coin toss. And it just works like that. So like one team has an advantage for a couple minutes and the other team sends in it's even for a while, et cetera, et cetera. You keep going back and forth until there are five people on each side. The match can't end until all the members have entered. So... That means that the match goes on for almost 20 minutes before it can even actually complete. And it completes basically. And it completes yeah. almost immediately, yeah. So it's it's a really weird thing to watch. It's but really, it's, it's kind of confusing because there's so much going on, and the camera people are just like all over the place. Because the thing is, if you zoom up out far enough to see the whole cage, you can't see anything. So, you you're so far away because it's so wide. It's the length of two rings. So you have to cut between all these individual, like, Everything you're kind of like two people fighting out of like six or eight people and or ten people eventually and it's it's just a mess but yeah. it's a lot of fun it's a really fun mess and um the Dave, kind of interesting yeah Dave Meltzer five, five star rated mat mess yeah yeah, yeah five star rated mess so basically what happens though is it's interesting to point out is so at this point the Dusty Ric Flair feud is done pretty much. They're having this, this is at a point where the NWA is starting to lose a little bit of its grip on the wrestling scene, a little bit, right? Well, it's, it, this is 87, so WWE mm-hmm. is starting to become a really big thing, and NWA at this point has either been bought or is about to be bought by Ted Turner, who will turn it into WCW, which yeah. in the 90s became a major force in its own right. But, like, at this point, they were kind of like, it wasn't as big as it used to be. Yeah. It something to get people going. The, the War Games match is a kind of a mess. You have this feud that was between Dusty and Rick just played out into a large ten man. And match. What, what this is basically is a is to really like end the four horsemen and Dusty. Like it's kind of a, a climax of the because the four horsemen are harassing Dusty. That's their whole thing, and this is kind of just a blow off for that. And uh, they end that mm-hmm. with the uh, War Machine getting pinned, but not pinned. He's tapped. He, he he submits to <laughs> his hawker. His Road Warrior Hawk, I think. Yeah. Smashing, After like yeah, he, smashing his face with his uh, leather spiky, spiked bracelet, yeah. And uh, War Machine taps, and the match ends. Yeah. And so that was maybe at that point, Dusty had gotten hit in the head so many times that he didn't, he wasn't writing it the right way. Anymore. But here's the thing: is that like shortly after this, within the next, I don't know if it. Yeah, in the next couple of years or so, like Dusty was fired from NWA as a booker because he was writing them into bankruptcy, basically. Really? Yeah, and that's when he went to WWE for a couple of years, and then he got hired back by WCW as a head booker because I have no idea because they just fired him like four years earlier for writing them into bankruptcy, and they hired him again. And that's interesting because that's always how tell how we the problem with Dusty is that like his career ends with this like trail of a few like kind of failures and then he was like wrestling long past his prime and he racked up all these like poor matches and that kind of taints him somewhat but it's, it's important to mention that um dusty unfortunately passed away last year mm. but in the last four i would say four-ish years of his life he well of course for his whole life he was a mentor to many people and was an important figure but um in the last four or five years he was heavily involved with the modern WWE's developmental program, their program for training wrestlers and preparing them for their WWE. And he was able to act as a mentor for a lot of today's biggest names in the WWE. He became a very, very important figure in training the next generation of huge wrestling stars. And I think, partly, I'm assuming because of that, everyone would have eventually remembered the good parts of Dusty regardless. He's such a big name. He's such a 
force in the history of wrestling. But I think that the incredible amount of influence he's had over the next generation will keep him being remembered by people forever because he had this direct influence and not just like influence in that he was a star they all looked up to as kids but a direct influence in actively shaping how the next generation thinks about wrestling thinks about characters thinks about storytelling yeah and with this match this 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 rivalry that Mm -hmm. dusty created with Ric Flair, yeah. it really set up the tone that a lot of rivalries throughout wrestling would have and still do follow mm. with um, basically the guy who's a man-made, you know, pushed himself to, to where he has been versus the person who's been given the opportunity with the bloodshed and the it really, hard work. Yeah. And it's a continuous storyline. And even though it started outside of the, what now is a WWE, I mean, it's just all throughout wrestling and different promotions all over the world. This it, is used. And it was, I think, kind of solidified as a definite way to book your book your promotion. It really is. Yeah, it really is one of the best versions of the icon of the wrestling feud, which is the people's champion against the person that doesn't deserve what they have. The person who who has all of this greatness and uses it to mock those who don't have as much. It's something that has been done in wrestling since, you know, like the real formation of wrestling as storylines. But this is like kind of the version that everyone goes back to. And with Dusty booking this storyline, his one of his last true great things as an in-ring wrestler, he kind of booked the way he's most remembered. Like the, one of the greatest promos in wrestling history, and Dusty's probably the most famous promo, came in the middle of this, where he talks about uh, the working man, you know, like um, hard times, the hard times promo. Hard times are when a man works a job for 20 years and they give him a watch and a kick in the butt and tell him you got replaced by a computer, you know? He he just, it's him basically channeling the frustrations of a generation of people that, that weren't content with their, their jobs. That And he talks about Ric Flair breaking his leg and, and he can't, he said, I can't, I can't work, I can't feed my family. And like that obviously resonated with this huge amount of people. And that's the way people remember Dusty Rhodes. And he created that out of whole cloth himself. Like, he booked the feud. He kind of helped Ric Flair and himself to be these epitomes of the the upper class and the working man. And basically set Ric Flair up to be the force in wrestling that he was. Yeah, Ric... Passing the torch, in a sense, too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what makes this rivalry Mm -hmm. so memorable because it set tone in wrestling and also connected so much with the people. Yeah. And that's why it's going to be considered one of the best rivalries of all time. It's so important, wrestling. yeah. And, well, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up here, but we talked about what Dusty Rhodes did towards the end of his life to secure his legacy. But this may shock you, but we may come back to Ric Flair sooner or later yeah. because the fact is this was the beginning of Ric Flair. Ric nature Flair, boy. the nature boy was very, very important for quite a long time to come. And he is considered one of, if not the greatest wrestler of all time. He is recognized by the WWE as having the most championships in WWE history. 16, 16-time world champion. We will come back to Ric Flair. Just stealing! Woo! Wheel of dealing! Limousine right! Jet flying! Son of a gun! Woo! So thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. Again, reference to the two great beers that we had today. Charlie Optimistic from Covered Bridge Brewing and Ransack the Universe from Collective Arts. Um, both great breweries coming in with amazing stuff. Uh, just two great um, beers to have. A little bit, if you're into a little more hoppier beers, a great mainstay. Good one to go with. 
Um, yeah, so the beers are great. The talk today was great. When it's interesting to point out all that stuff with class rivalry, and uh, yeah, I'll get Alex to finish off what we're doing. Rick Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. Application of the Communist Manifesto? That's for you to decide. Thank you all for listening. It's been, we've been having a lot of fun here today. Uh, tune in next week where we will be talking about the current indie wrestling sensation, Lucha Underground. One of the greatest things on TV right now. Look it up. Get ready. Prepare. Because we're going to be going in a little in-depth on this. It's ridiculous nonsense, and we love it with all our hearts. Some of the best wrestling on television right now. So prepare for that. Uh, we love you all, and we'll see you all very soon. Perfect. Bye for now. Bye. Here's the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the resident fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. <laughs>